This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, it's Dan Favalli. Remember to search Blue Wire Buckets in iTunes or Spotify for more NBA content. Hey, hi, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with my super duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario. We'll quibble over the slightest differential in report card grades for NBA teams off-seasons co-host Andrew D. Valley. We do not have our other co-host, Mo DeKeel, with us today, but fear not, we are going to trailblaze on, hint, hint, through our off-season report card grades for every single team. Before we get started with the Northwest Division and with a couple surprise questions I have for Andy that I did not tell him about beforehand, you're welcome in advance, just want to remind and implore, beg, plead with everyone, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Help us keep Andy rolling in alloy wheels. We can also be found (laughs) wherever else you're consuming your podcast. iTunes is still the very best way to let us know that you are out there that you are listening, that you can let us know how we're doing. Throw us a five-star rating, write a review with feedback or support, um, or what you think about Andy's basketball playing career from high school and college, anything you want. If you have not subscribed, do so. If you've done all those things, please recommend us. Shout-outs on Twitters, stealing people's phones, subscribing them to us, knowing they'll thank you later. Anything you could do to help us continue spreading the word about what we think is a pleasantly, awesomely, Better than mediocre basketball podcast. Follow this podcast on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Also consider following Andrew D. Bailey. He's a pretty damn good Twitter follow, if I do say so myself. <laughs> he is at Andrew D. Bailey, spelled as it sounds. I'm at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. Mo can be found at Mo DeKeel underscore MBA. That's at M-O-D-A-K-H-I-L underscore MBA. Finally, if you have not Follow Blue Wire Pods on Twitter. Get with it, and not just because that's where you're going to find not only my NBA takes being tweeted, but also some baseball and football takes in the coming months, which is a scary mother effing thing to consider. At Blue Wire Pods. With all of that housekeeping out of the way, in just about two minutes, I'm pretty proud of myself for that semi-short rambling, we get to ask, I get to ask, Andy, how the hell are you? I'm excellent. I'm, I'm doing great after that. That wonderful intro to the podcast and to me and to NBA basketball and all these takes that we're about to give. Uh, I'm especially excited to get some baseball takes from you. I think the world has been pining for that for some time. <laughs> Overdue, and I, I am ready for them. Uh, yeah, two baseball tweets under my belt so far, so I'm basically <laughs> a veteran. Also, what's special about this podcast I was telling you beforehand is I'm going to order some acoustic um, like foam to place on my wall since my <laughs> feedback told us I was coming off a little echoey. I wanted to make sure that that was in fact the problem though. So my setup right now is I have two giant couch cushions surrounding my office desk uh, that has the laptop and the, the microphone on it. And I also have another small throw pillow on top of those two cushions to give myself like a little, like a little hub. Just did you make energy. yourself, did you make a fort for yourself? No, I actually have a Ford on the floor that I'm going to hang out and edit the podcast. I'm like, okay. I'm super excited about that. My daughter really likes to make forts. She could have helped you out with this. Oh, me and her would get along fantastic. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed that you didn't hire like a lackey to just hold the couch cushions on either side of you. It's actually my wife, Angela. She's <laughs> holding them right now. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> um, before we get into the Northwest Division, I had a couple of quick questions for you. First and foremost, do you have a strong opinion on LeBron James's parenting. 
No, I don't. Um, I can't believe it. How long has this been in the news cycle now? Like two days? 48 hours. Welcome to uh, the NBA's news cycle in yeah. July slash August. I guess this is the price we pay for having so much happen in the first couple days of July. It seems like in other years, it like the dead period doesn't hit us until... I guess right about now, so maybe it is around the same. But it, we, we just had so many fireworks there at the beginning of July, and yeah, it's just like dead right now. And but yeah, the answer to your question is I just don't care, and I don't see why anybody's trying to make people care. <laughs> yeah, it's and you don't a commenting on it. I guess empowers and emboldens people who have actually provided strong takes on it. My thing is over the top support of your kids, even if that's what that was. And my my actual feelings are if Drake can massage Nick Nurse on the sidelines <laughs> an NBA freaking playoff game. LeBron James can jump up and down for his son's team, come on the court during a timeout. At an AAU game, as people have pointed out, I've never been to one, not sure if you've been to one, some of the most informal competition ever, where teams yeah. don't sometimes even know who they're playing. Just I, I just don't have an opinion on it. Would probably be the stronger, but I'm never going to criticize someone for – uh, showing support for their children, and I'm certainly not going to infer that he was doing it for himself and his own personal gain. Yeah, I've seen it. I've been around plenty of like high school age sporting events where there were parents who were over the top, but it was like over the top in a way that they're like screaming at the refs or screaming at their own kids. Uh, and it's a lot, like you said, it's a lot different than it's summer competition. I mean, these aren't these aren't like sanctioned high school basketball games. Um, but my, my general takeaway this whole time is why are we talking about this? It's just, I, I just can't drum up the, I can't drum up the outrage either way. <laughs> Something that's a little more actually newsworthy. Carmelo Anthony's trainer, Chris Brickley saying that Melo is better than 70% of the players currently in the NBA the, the, that Melo deserves a, I missed that. a farewell tour. The the first one's high hyperbole, and I don't think Melo deserves the farewell tour that Dwayne Wade got. That's it's not even just about Melo. Not, not sure anybody deserves the farewell tour Dwayne Wade got. That's also fair. But if you're going <laughs> to give it to someone, if Melo doesn't fit that bill, he didn't spend most of his career with one team. Yeah, really not only win championships with that franchise, but kind of help put them on the map when you look at what happened with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. That being said, I would like to see Melo play in the NBA again just so we get that chance to give the proper goodbye sort of thing because Melo is going to be a, a Hall of Famer, and I enjoyed watching him play in his prime. And it's not – I hate to use Jamal Crawford as an example because he, he seems like a really good human being and not just because he follows me on Twitter. But it's not like Melo – I guess he has at this point tried to hold on too long or hasn't changed enough for too long, but this isn't someone toiling away into his forties. It's all of a sudden he sort of fell off a cliff because the game left him behind. And that, again, that's on him, but I would just like to see him play again in the NBA so that we know, Hey, this is the last time we're going to get to see him on the court. Nice humble brag on Jamal Crawford. Doesn't he follow everybody? I'm pretty sure. I don't. I don't know. Now I want to check. But um, I, I would be fine with that if he came back. I don't. I don't think that he's going to be particularly helpful to like a good team. But I wouldn't mind him um, getting one more run and and some like obviously not like a Dwayne Wade farewell tour. But I think what you're getting at is at least an acknowledgement um, that this is kind of the last ride for him. Did you see that report? <laughs> that the Knicks were considering signing him if they had landed two max free agents? First of all, they got two near max free agents, Bobby Portis and Julius Randle. So oh, there you go. Back. Yeah. Yeah, they, they should still do it. They, they don't have enough power forwards yet. That definitely explains why Kyrie and KD chose Brooklyn, though, if it, if it didn't have the explanation already. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing him come back, but I just I don't think he's going to move the needle for anybody, at least not in a positive direction. There are just no te- when you look at available roster spots, it's almost impossible to find a fit for him. I think he'd be intriguing on the Blazers. There's the Lakers thing just because LeBron is there, but are they going to burn their final roster spot on another bigger forward who they can play at the three, but should really be playing at the four? And they have enough yeah. of those with Kuzma, LeBron, Dudley, etc. 
and you start to run out of options after that. If the Spurs had a roster spot, I stand by, particularly after them losing <laughs> Marcus Morris, that that would be the place for Melo to be. Yeah, that would be interesting to see if uh, see what he did with Pop. He would he would certainly let him shoot all the mid range jumpers that he wants. Um, I this is like we're I'm taking us off topic now, but I'm kind of excited to see if he can uh, salvage Trey Lyles at this point. Trey Lyles was really good by Trey Lyles' standards in 2017. He had, yeah, he had a good third season and I think a promising first season. He's like an every other year player for some reason. So hopefully he'll bounce back with the Spurs in year five. Yeah, that'll be something to monitor. But we are not in the Spurs division right now. <laughs> Rest assured, though, once they cut someone and sign Kamal Anthony, we will have an emergency podcast. Oh, yes. We're on to the Northwest division grades. We start with the Minnesota Timberwolves, we are once again going in reverse record order. They finished last uh, in 2018-2019 in the Northwest Division. Key additions, uh, Jake Lehman, Jared Culver, Jalen Noel, Jordan Bell, Noah Vonley, Shabazz Napier, Travion Graham, Tyrone Wallace. Their key exits, Anthony Tolliver, Cameron Reynolds, Dario Saric, Dar- Derek Rose, and Luel Deng. I don't have them for any... Uh, key re-signings. You can correct me if that was wrong there. As far as grades for them, we'll relay Moe's first since he's not here. He gave them a D. I gave them a B plus, and Andy gave them a B. What are your thoughts about, one, Mo giving them a D, and why <laughs> did you give them a B? Um, I... I... I didn't think they were anywhere near as bad as a D. Mo said in the text message that he sent us that he didn't feel like they added anybody that made them better. Um, I gave him a B because I, I do think they added some guys that might have made them a little bit better. And in fact, when I look at what they what they lost and what they gained, I almost feel like I could bump it up a little bit. Um, I think you said B plus, right? You gave him a B plus, and I'm almost tempted to do that myself. I think Jordan Bell is a really good fit next to. Carl Anthony Towns, he took a step back in year two, but I think he showed a lot of promising signs as a rookie. Um, there were even some moments where we were thinking, or at least I was, like he, he's got some shades of Draymond in him. Like he was even passing the ball a little bit, um, defending all kinds of different positions. He's, I, I just, I really like that fit. Um, we talked about Vonley before we started re- recording the podcast. He had a heck of a bounce back year for the Knicks. Can I interject there season. for a second? When the news went power forward crazy, yeah. they just decided not to bring back Noah Vonley, who probably would have been cheaper and played well for them. That was bizarre. Bizarre. Carry on. Yeah. Yeah. Jinx. Bizarre. Um, so I like I like Vonley there. He can play some backup five for them. Um, I think Shabazz Napier is significantly better than Jared Bayless. I think Trevion Graham and Jake Lehman are both like young guys that have good size for the wing and have a lot of promise to them. I like the Jarrett Culver pick in the draft. Um, I think there's just a lot of positive things you can point to. The Sarich, the, the loss of Sarich is is probably the biggest loss on that other side. Um, Taj Gibson's been good for them, but he was he was nearing the end, I think. So it's, it's for a team as young as the Timberwolves, I think it was fine to move on from him. Sarich is is somebody who I thought was a good fit next to Towns as well, and and Bell's certainly not the shooter that he is, but I think he's a significantly better defender, and he's he's got a ton of potential. So I like their offseason. I thought they did pretty well for themselves. I did too, and people are going to point to their failed dalliance with D'Angelo Russell. I don't know. I'm always torn on how to penalize teams for this. I, I typically skew towards not, because who would have thought that the Timberwolves – with zero cap space, could even get a meeting with D'Angelo yeah. Russell just because they have Carl Anthony Towns on the roster. And then if D'Angelo Russell goes there, we're probably killing them because how many abscess did they give up either in a sign and trade or uh, to get Andrew Wiggins' money off the books and create cap space? That becomes yeah. a whole new problem. That they didn't do anything too eventful and they didn't really futz with their books over the long term in the sense that they didn't make these extended commitments beyond Towns' extension kicking in, obviously. I like it. You're going in a new direction under Rosas. Um, you have a new head coach. It's not that you need to see what's sort of in this core, but I kind of like the thought process of, yes, Dario Sarge is good, but if we're going to miss out on 
they would not have taken Cam Johnson is my my guess at number 11. But if you're turning that to Jared Culver, who might be a second best player on a really good team material, if he can create separation effectively on offense, and you're faced with paying Dario Saric, what, 13, 14, 15 million dollars in restricted free agency next summer, maybe when you look at how shallow the the depth of the talent is there. I like that consolidation. And again, the, the flyers that they took on these guys, uh, Travion Graham can't shoot, but he can defend up. And th- that's a guy that can get up to power forwards. Tr- Jake, Jake Lehman just moves off the ball a ton. You already talked about Jordan Bell. I really like Noah Vonley. Shabazz Napier, instead of paying Tyus Jones, uh, you know, close to mid-level money over the next couple of years, that's, that's a nice play. Even Tyrone Wallace, who kind of just had some buzz like, you know, 18 months ago. It, I like these flyers, particularly when you're a team under a new regime that's, I guess, headed in a different direction, even though you now have two max contract guys on your books. They do seem like everyone's thinking that they're going to end up with D'Angelo Russell anyway. I'm not saying everyone, but the trade that's floating around is some combination of Covington and Teague, maybe other stuff for Russell, and the Warriors have to give up other salary because they're hard capped to make that sort of work I don't know for the Warriors I'd be it's one of those deals that I wouldn't like for either team if I was Golden State I know Covington's a perfect fit but I'd want more for DAR even though he's on a max contract and then if I'm Minnesota I don't want to give up uh, one of the best value wings in the NBA looking at his contract in in Covington to go after D'Angelo Russell on a max contract they were really good when Covington was on the floor last year too if memory um Serves me correctly. Why don't they just trade Russell for Wiggins straight up? The Warriors would totally do that. <laughs> I was hoping for more of a reaction. Um, is this the year? Andrew Wiggins, year number yeah. six. Is this yeah. the year? This is the year he figures it out. And he does it under the tutelage of Steve Kerr. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's see how long I can carry this out while I search for stats on Robert Covington. Well, um, the other thing is, too. This roster seems like it's more built to give Towns free reign on offense. And I, I think that sort of helps as well. And maybe that's why, maybe that's not why you got rid of Dario Saric. Uh, he's someone that you could have used off the dribble a little bit more. Maybe now it's just by not re-signing Derrick Rose, a, a ball-dominant guy. Yeah. You just have more touches to go around. And you're going to have to, I guess, try and milk something out of Wiggins. He's probably better off operating with the ball in, ball in his hands than he is in the inconsistent capacities he's been used off the ball over the past couple seasons. Did you happen to catch um, Ryan Saunders on, I can't remember if it was the Woj pod or low post. Low post, oh, yes, I did. So. Yeah. Uh, some of the things that he said about Wiggins actually were pretty intriguing to me. So I'm, so I wrote an article for Bleacher Report um, just a few days ago that was like NBA players in desperate need of a trade. And I had a few people suggest you got to throw Wiggins in there. And I, I, I don't think he's in desperate need of a trade right now. I, I'm really interested to see um, if some of those things that Ryan Saunders talked about, like talking to him about shot values and stuff like that, if that pans out, um, I know it's like you said, it's many years into his career at this point, And maybe it's crazy not to give up yet, but there's still a sliver of hope. Uh, for him with me the number I was looking for by the way is last season the, the Wolves were plus 2.4 points per 100 possessions with Covington on the floor 69th percentile um, I, I think the Timberwolves after this offseason are they're going to be kind of uh, spunky this season I don't know if that's a great word to use but they won 36 games last season I think they could be a little bit better and I think <laughs> This is still probably – actually, no, that's not true. I was going to say it's probably the worst team in the division, but that's probably OKC now. Um, but even the two teams that we can say are are not as good in OKC and Minnesota, I think they're going to be really competitive. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And it's – even if it, – first of all, where is Andrew Wiggins going to go that you could say that's a great you know, second landing spot, second chance or eighth chance landing spot for him? And then the flip side of that is – the Timberwolves, especially now, if, you, if you're if you not all in on the present, which they're clearly not, what are you going to give up to get Wiggins' deal off the books? He makes so much money. I think that yeah. there's an argument to be made that he has the second or the absolute worst deal in the NBA 
right now. And I won't, Wall's not playing, so I think it's probably easy to go to him. I think Wall's is definitely worse. So, But he could be the second worst. You're looking at four years and $122.2 million. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> so I just don't know where it would go. And I'm, I'm with you. I'm interested to see what they do. I like, I really like Culver. I, I want to see if they're going to, because their point guard situation is just sort of blah. I want to see what that translates into. Are we going to have a fully unleashed Towns? Are we going to see Wiggins maybe run some de facto point? Not sure how that would end. Will we see Jarrett Culver do the same? Will we just see Shabazz Napier log a ton of minutes? There are a lot of different things they could do there. And so they're an intriguing team. I would push back. This is a great segue into our next team, which is actually in the correct order against Oklahoma City being the the worst team in in the division. If they trade Chris Paul, I agree with you. But if they don't, uh, let's get it. I'll go ahead. I was going to say, I actually, like, right after they got Chris Paul, thought they're if they keep this group together, they're going to be tough. That's an even better segue into, uh, yeah. into this. So, so their, key, their key additions were Chris Paul. That was that was a trade that I don't think anybody heard about. Danilo Gallinari, uh, Darius Baisley, Lou Gentz, Dortz. Hopefully I said that right. Mike Muscala, Shea, Gil- Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Their key exits were Jeremy Grant, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook, and they re-signed Nerlens Noel. I gave the Oklahoma City Thunder a B plus. Yeah, I gave them a B plus. Mo gave them a B, and Dan, you gave them a. No one's gonna like this. I gave them an A. <laughs> I'll I'll start on this one. I gave them a B plus because yes, they lost. Westbrook and George uh, add Jeremy Grant to that too. And it seems like it, it could be a total disaster, but the dominoes started falling on this when Paul George asked out. And in today's NBA, you're as from the team standpoint, you're kind of up against the wall when your player does that. Um, players have so much leverage and control at this point. And I think what Oklahoma city was able to get um, in the wake of that trade demand is just crazy. I was looking this up um, earlier today on Real GM. They have it listed out how many draft picks teams have incoming and outgoing. And <laughs> the list of incoming picks for OKC is crazy. 2021st from Denver, 2022nd from Chicago, 2021 first from Miami or Houston, 2022 first from the Clippers, 2023. Uh, from the Clippers, 2023 from Miami, 2024 from Houston, 2024 from LA, 2024 from Memphis, 2025 from the Clippers or Houston, 2026 from Houston, and another 2026 from the Clippers. Um, Has there ever been a deeper uh, sort of war chest of assets going forward? Um, As soon as Paul George came to them and said, I want out, I think they realized, okay, we're going to have to blow this up. And now they are set up about as well as anybody ever has been for a rebuild. Um, (laughs) They turned a terrible situation into, I think, a a pretty close to a win, if not an outright win, uh, with all these assets that they picked up. They are set up great for the near future and and the distant future. That was pretty much Moe's justification for a B. He said you, you have to applaud the haul they got for PG and Russ, and if they keep CP3, they can compete for a playoff spot, which is, I think, a separate conversation. But in the aftermath of it, I'm just with you. I I really just applaud the work that they did sort of on the fly, I guess, a little bit more than you and Mo. And I think that's where off-season grades get difficult. Do you just – critique them criticize them because they lost really good players where i'm looking at it as what could they have done differently to keep these two guys and one of the most convincing arguments for me is that in a summer in which they traded both paul george and russell westbrook their most lukewarm move their worst move might have been trading jeremy grant for that denver first rounder yeah just how non-valuable that is the picks you listed off, in some, they have 15 first-round picks through 2026, <laughs> plus four swap rights, two of which come in the same season. That's wow. absolutely absurd. And so I think it then boils down to how do you interpret Paul George's trade request? Did the Thunder disenchant him by suffering two first-round exits? Is there something they could have done to make playing with Russell Westbrook 
in Oklahoma City a more attractive opportunity than joining forces with Kawhi Leonard in Los Angeles? I think the answer is in that question. There was just no coming back from that. And I know Oklahoma City was looking to shed salary ahead of the draft. Maybe that's sort of a turnoff and proof that they were in this weird gridlock and they wouldn't have been able to improve upon their position. I get it. They're also a small market that paid the repeater tax last year. And I think there is something I'm not one to applaud ownership. I'll say that they should pay the tax if it means getting a ton of talent, but the fact that they did it when relative to the norm, that's not what would have happened. It's not like they didn't try and they got Paul George to sign this contract in the first place. As far as the Chris Paul stuff goes, I absolutely believe that they could fight for a playoff spot if they keep both him and Gallo. And think about, though, let's say Chris Paul has a hell of a first half of the year, and then Miami's willing to take him without sending back bad money or willing to give you something, even if something small, or if another team, maybe it's the Magic if Markel Fultz doesn't pan out, maybe the Knicks go full Knicks or something. That makes the Russell Westbrook return look that much better if you actually turned Chris Paul into something more than a net negative asset. Still, if you end up keeping him, which, you know, maybe they do with Gallo, Shea Gilgis, Alexander. What if Andre Robertson gets healthy this year? You still have Steven Adams. I'm not a big Dennis Schroeder guy, but he's on this roster. I wouldn't be surprised if they fought for, for the eighth seed. I wouldn't pick them over those fringe squads that might be the Spurs or, uh, you know, the, the Kings necessarily, I don't think they're by far and away better than them. But if, if Paul's healthy, he's still probably a top 25, 30 player in the game. It's just a matter of his availability. Yeah. Last, and I guess it's availability with Gallo, too. He was mostly healthy last season, but he's obviously had his fair share of injury woes. But last season, Gallinari was 11th in the NBA in offensive real plus minus, and Chris Paul was 26th. Um, so so you have potentially two top 30 offensive players, and then you have the defense of Roberson and Adams. Um, I, I think Gilgis Alexander's a wild card on both ends. I, I think he's got a ton of potential on both ends of the floor. Um, you're right. I, I wouldn't be shocked if they competed for a playoff spot. And I also wouldn't be shocked if Minnesota comp- competed for a playoff spot. I, I do think these are probably – I guess I don't know how far behind Portland they are, and we'll get to them uh, I think next. Um, but the, the, the theme of this, uh, division for me is it's just really tough top to bottom. It has been for a few years now. And even when they lost Paul George and Russell Westbrook in one summer, this is still potentially a pretty tough team. Yeah. That division last year that the Thunder won 49 games and they were fourth. That's, that's crazy about the actual division. And the only thing I'll disagree with you there, I don't even view say Shea Gilgis Alexander as a wild card on both ends. He's, he's there on defense. He defended yeah. uh, three positions, sometimes four positions last year for the Clippers, and you can put him on either guard, guard spot for sure if you're worried about putting him on threes and fours being an overextension. It's, you know, he's pretty good at finishing around the rim. A standstill shooting might be okay. Can he do a little bit more off the dribble? And will he even have the freedom to experiment with that while Chris Paul is in town? The Thunder also, I know you lost Paul George, who hit a ton of ridiculous threes last year, but there's a real good chance that they upgraded their floor spacing significantly because Gallo is a good shooter. Gilgis Alexander is way closer to replacement level than Russell Westbrook was there. Uh, Chris Paul is a much better shooter than Russell Westbrook. Yeah. It's so a quality offseason given the hand that they were dealt. And so I'm going to be, if I don't, it'd be different if I thought they were to blame for what happened this offseason. And and everyone's a little bit culpable, but the fact that this Paul George thing came out of nowhere and they were able to sell the package that they did and use the Kawhi Leonard free agency as leverage on the fly almost that's that's hella impressive to me yeah I agree all right guys we have an announcement to make Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably go to harrys.com slash blue wire to save ten dollars in a value trial set which includes a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. So Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. 
Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, just let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for just $3. And I was wrong. It's not the Blazers next. But I was you'll, about to say, you'll... you tried to steer us in the direction of the Blazers. <laughs> but put some respect on their name. They were second. Third was your Utah Jazz, who I've already been nuked for my grade. On. But we'll start for... Uh, their notable additions, Boyan Bogdanovich, Ed Davis, Emmanuel Moutier, Jarrell Brantley, Jeff Green, Justin Wright Foreman, Mike Conley, uh, Nigel Williams-Goss, Dan, uh, William Howard. They had notable exits. Uh, they also had Mai Oni. I might have butchered that pronunciation, too. I forgot about him. Notable exits. Derek Favors, FK Udo, Grayson Allen, Jay Crowder, Kyle Korver, Raul Neto, Ricky Rubio, Tabo Cephalosha, who is still a free agent for anyone out there who might be interested. I gave them a B plus have already been killed for it. Mo though gave them a B his justification being love what they did this summer, but you have to worry about who is guarding wings out West, which was among my concerns. Andy, yeah. what did you give your jazz? I, I was very difficult, very, very tough on them. I gave them an A instead of the A plus 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 that some of the fans may be expecting. Um, <laughs> I'll let you go first on this one. Look, Mo brought up the crux of my point is that, and it leads back to the Mike Conley trade. I think that was a win for the Jazz. I don't think it was one barren of opportunity cost. Had they struck that deal in the regular season, they would have had more salary filler to work with when you look at Ricky Rubio's expiring contract. Uh, you look at even uh, having Tabo Cephalosha's expiring contract. Maybe you get away with only giving up one of Corver or Crowder. The Crowder loss is big to me when you're also losing Derek Favors, who is now a member of the Pelicans. There are things the Jazz can do to approximate those small ball four lineups that Crowder unlocked, and that's obviously Derek Favors wasn't a part of that, but I trust him in dual big lineups with Rudy Gobert far more than I would trust, let's say, Rudy Gobert, Jeff Green in the front court, or Rudy Gobert, Ed Davis in the front court. I like the Favors pairing better. And it matters when you're looking at, yes, Joe Ingles shut down Paul George two years ago in a playoff series. I get it. When him and Bogdanovich, who is pretty okay individual uh, individual defender, are your interchangeable 3-4 wings, I just don't think that adequately arms you in the postseason. I think they'll be dominant in the regular season. For them to get to that A, A-plus level in my mind, it's what happens at the four spot. Are we going to see minutes from Yang really pan out? Does Jeff Green shoot the three ball well enough to stay on the court for longer stretches or the big one as the athletics Tony Jones reported, they're considering starting Royce O'Neal at the four. And if that's, if he can sort of mirror uh, what Jay Crowder did for them while shooting better, because he did shoot better from three than Jay Crowder last year, my, my take is going to look just outdated, but that's the concern I have for them right now. Their off season was fantastic, but it was not without an opportunity cost. I think that's all totally fair um and maybe i'm a little bit higher on the offseason because i'm i'm not as concerned about the jay crowder loss as you were i think like you just mentioned i think royce o'neill can can do a lot of what crowder did the last couple of years and maybe even do a few things better like shooting um i also trust maybe yeah I, I i was gonna say i trust royce off the dribble a little bit more than i trusted crowder he's not he's not as um What's the word I'm looking for? He's he's not quite as formidable on defense, but he's he's very nearly the same size. Um, I think Crowder is like I just looked this up the other day, so excuse he's me. Six, right, Jay Crowder? Yeah, six 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 two thirty five. So he's a he's a good sturdy three four defender. There's no doubt about that, um, and he can hold his own about against about any big. O'Neal's six six two twenty six. Um, the at least the most recent listing on basketball reference so i think he can cover a lot of what crowder provided the thing that made me a little bit more nervous was actually the favors loss i think in a vacuum he's pretty clearly better than boyan bogdanovich but they to me it was like there there are opportunity costs with all of these moves like you just mentioned but the the gain far outweighed 
not maybe far outweighed, that the gain outweighed the loss in my mind in each one. Um, the upgrade from Rubio to Conley is just huge in my mind, and I think it was worth the pi- the price they paid to get that. Um, then the so it's not really an upgrade in talent from Favors to Bogdanovich, but it is an upgrade in fit in my mind. They've been significantly better with those small ball four lineups over the last few years, and I think they have the bodies to do it still with O'Neal and and Bogdanovich and Ingles. I, I think they can cover those minutes, and then they had to lose Favors to open up the small ball four units. And I actually think they found a pretty good guy to cover that too. in Ed Davis, um, he's going to be strictly a backup center for them. He's going to play 14, 15 minutes a game. And I think in that role, he could be very, very good. He was, he was a ridiculous rebounder for the Brooklyn Nets last season. So I don't think, you know, he's, he's obviously not Rudy Gobert, um, but they shouldn't fall off a cliff when Gobert leaves the floor next season. I, I think they had, some some very clear needs. They addressed them quickly, and then addressing those needs made a new one, and they addressed that one. I, I just I just feel like every step of the way they made smart, calculated moves, um, and and to me it was an A off season. Royce O'Neal is also longer than Jay Crowder, which might sort of alleviate the concerns of him guarding the four. I just feel like Jay Crowder is a little stronger, but again that that could end up being moved. And I, I agree with what you said. It is funny though, and this I think this speaks more so to favors va- favors value that they in your war wins above replacement differential tracker for the off season. Yeah. It actually had them losing value. And so just to keep it relevant to this division with the teams you've already gone through, the thunder are 27th on the off season in wins above replacement differential. The timber uh, the jazz are 20th and the timberwolves are 19th that the jazz actually finished. All those teams were net negatives in the wins above replacement differential that the jazz are net negative there. It, it speaks to, uh, again, how valuable favors was to them. But your point about Ed Davis, I think, is really sal- salient there, is that he can, he, he'll he do in those dual big, if they want to run dual big, maybe you can get some minutes from him at the four. But him as exclusively a backup five, when that's where Derek Favors' best role was anyway, you lose yeah. a little bit of offensive range. He not only does he just not have the jump shot, he just doesn't have the control with the ball in his hands that Derek Favors does. Still, that's a good rebound. And I don't, you know, I, I we can regrade the offseason at the mid-year point. I just feel, one, if you're quibbling over them not getting an A- minus compared to a B plus or something like that, <laughs> I can't. I just, I can't, I can't do it. I just think there are fair concerns, and I'm not even going to back off my grade. Or And even if it ends up panning out, I just feel the concerns are genuine enough to leave them at a B plus. Yeah, I, I think see, it's totally fair. I want to see what happens in the playoffs. I, I even said when I wrote about their report grade, I could see them having the best regular season record in the league, and it wouldn't surprise me. I just want to see how it translates to the, the postseason. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Um, I think you introduced that one, so that takes us to the Blazers. Maybe I just knew in my mind that it was going to be me doing the Blazers. They went 53-29. and 29 last season and they had an interesting off season. Uh, <laughs> they added Anthony Tolliver, Hassan Whiteside, Kent Bazemore, Mario Hazonia, Nasir Little, and Pau Gasol. I, I, I forgot about the Pau Gasol signing. Um, key exits, Al Farouk Aminu, Enes Cantor, Evan Turner, Jake Lehman, Myers Leonard, Mo Harkless, Seth Curry, and they re-signed Rodney Hood. They... Uh, let's see if I can find them. They added one and a half wins above replacement, according to 538. They lost 4.2 for a net of minus 2.7. Um, that put them at 23rd Lots in the NBA. For the Northwest Division. It yeah. Above replacement track <laughs> yeah. At least according to 538. Um, I gave the Portland Trailblazers a C. Mo gave them a B. And Dan, you gave them a C. Plus. No, that's not true. Uh, I meant to write C plus. If I wrote down C, I <laughs> okay. Well, I was hoping I wasn't going to be the lowest one, but that, that's fine. Um, I gave them a C because they. It seems like they reshuffled the roster to little to no avail. Um, I guess Kent Bazemore is is fine. That gives you another wing that can maybe handle the ball a little bit, but. And, and shoot better than Evan Turner, so that's nice. Um, Nasir Little could end up being good value for them for, for where they got him. And I guess they probably needed a center while Yusuf Nurkic comes back. But none of these moves are 
they just don't do much for me, um, at least not in a positive way. The Hassan Whiteside move alone, um, maybe he'll be better with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, uh, but I, I am very dubious about the fit there with Hassan Whiteside. He had that really good season in Miami that got him the massive contract that he's on right now, but I, he just hasn't been a terribly helpful player since then. Um, I don't think he's – I think he's a little bit better on defense than his reputation suggests. Um, but I, I'm kind of rambling at this point. I just don't feel like they did anything that was terribly impressive for me. That's, I think that's a perfectly fair take. I was probably just seduced by now. They actually have wings who can both dribble and shoot rather than either or. Yeah. There was, I can't remember who tw- uh, put this on Twitter before, but they were talking about why Garrett Temple's two-year, $10 million deal with the Nets is better than the Blazers signing Rodney Hood for I think it ended up being a similar price point. They were at two years and a little under $12 million. So I disagree. It's I'm not sh- just because of the role that Rodney Hood is going to give you, particularly with the ball in his hands. I'm not saying that he's great. I just thought that was a bizarre take. I think keeping him was a pretty big deal. I like Kent Bays more. To me, he's always been a little bit, underrated on offense than overrated on defense. What really concerns me about this team, all your qualms about the big man situation, I I agree. I too have wondered if rather than make that Hassan Whiteside trade, would they have been better off signing Powell, keeping Myers Leonard and Harkless, and then go out go out there and, and give Dwight Howard a chance or something like that. Yeah. And I that's another I'm glad you brought that up. I I kind of like Myers Leonard. I know that he hasn't done a ton in the last few years, but big guys who can shoot are that that's more intriguing to me than what Whiteside's provided the last couple of years. And a lot of people tried to justify it as Harkless was touched to watch on offense, excuse me. Now they have a higher salary to match in trades. Look, the the, the outgoing salaries I think it was like under a $5 million difference. Who are you trying to trade for next season that you need $27.1 million? They're going to say Kevin Love you can match Kevin Love's salary without Hassan Whiteside pretty easily. You could have used the same darn package and maybe had to add a little bit of salary to it. You have Scala BCA just sitting there, and there you go. Whatever other picks and stuff you were going to attach to it, you're done. And Cleveland would probably be interested in shedding a little bit of money anyway rather than getting you know close to dollar for dollar for Kevin Love. And perhaps I'm talking out of my ass since I don't have his cap hit pulled up. But he's at $28.9 million. So it would have been relatively easy to match without that deal. I don't buy into that they were, unless they're going to end up trading for Blake Griffin. I don't buy into that they needed Hassan Whiteside's cap hit for that reason. You make that gamble if you think he's going to end up being one of the best, let's say, 15 bigs in the league next season. We went through this uh, in a thread after the move happened. Off the top of our head, I think we just named 20 centers that we can't picture Hassan Whiteside being better than next year. And so maybe he just looks really good under head coach Terry Stotts. I'm willing to accept that much. The backup point guard situation is where it gets dicey for me. Portland didn't stagger too starkly the minutes of C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard. We should probably talk about McCollum extension too. Last year, I guess they can move away from that and stagger them more rigidly. But what are you doing other than that? Are they... They believe that Anthony Simons is this. Simons, I guess, yeah. I'm not there, even based off what I saw in Summer League. He looks like he's going to be a fantastic offensive talent. Billing him as that backup point guard, I've, it seems like too much responsibility. Maybe, though, you can play lineups where there are just dual ball handlers if you're going to have both your stars on the, the bench. It's Simons and Kent Bazemore. Maybe that works. Or even Hood and and Baysmore and then Simons. Maybe there's just enough secondary playmakers there. The Knicks started Mario Hazonia at point guard for a beat last year, one of your favorite players of, of all time, obviously. I guess there are things that can be done, and Portland normally doesn't spend too much on backup point guards. It's just a little weird. Jeremy Lin looks like he'd be a great fit for this team right now. I'm assuming they want to keep a roster spot. I'm, I just that, – that makes me uneasy. And who's defending the bigger wings now? And is Zach Collins just exclusively a power forward if you have power? Yeah, that's that's that another team? concern. Yeah, Zach Collins is like your full-time four is a little bit and shaky. Oliver backing him up. Hazonia can play the four. Maybe you can get minutes out of Rodney Hood at the four. Neither of those guys you look at and say, oh, they can they can defend the, the bigger wings. And that's not Kent Bazemore's game either. It's Simons. 
doesn't have the size to do that, and he needs to just be more locked in on defense in general. Those are all real qualms. I give them a C plus because I'm I'm very intrigued to see what this team can do when they have wings who can both dribble and shoot rather than either or. And maybe I'm being a little bit just overly kind with that C plus. Then their off season was not even close to something that you can have a ton of confidence in, though. Yeah. What did, did you, you see, Evan? Oh, go ahead. Did you see Evan Turner's response to Jason Quick on July first when they like completed the overhaul? No. So Jason Quick tweets on July 1, um, Jason Quick of The uh, the Athletic. Um, and Olshay said, quote, don't expect fireworks, quote. What a stunning display of elevating Blazers to another tier. Whiteside, Hood, Bazemore, Hazonia, Little, pretty impressive. And then Evan Turner responds, <laughs> me, Ed, Chief, Moe, and Myers would run them out the gym. Don't at me. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And, and I think I might agree with him. Um, they made a lot of moves and it was like, to, to me, it was just sort of getting different for the sake of being different. Say, uh, you know, whatever I, I botched that, but, um, and I think there's some value to that sometimes since, you know, sometimes you just need a shakeup. You've kind of, you feel like you hit your ceiling and, um, it's time to try something new, which is kind of interesting for them because they just made the Western conference finals last year. And now the Warriors are dismantled. So I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have had too big of a problem with them mostly running it back. Uh, but it, it just seemed like a lot of turnover and none of it was terribly inspiring for me. What did you think of the three year, $100 million extension for Damien? Uh, excuse me, for CJ McCollum? I think it's fine. Um, I guess in that sense, they are running it back because that's their two main guys. It, it, I think they're still going to be for the next two or three years, all of the uh, constant speculation about whether they're going to trade one of those guys. And it would probably be CJ McCollum if it's either one. When I look at, whenever I see people add up like two max salaries, it, it just scares me a little bit. And I, I don't have it pulled up in front of me right now, but in a couple of years, those two are going to be making like 90 million bucks together. I think yeah, uh, closer to 80, but yeah. It, it's just, I get why teams feel like they have to do it, and, and maybe they just straight up do have to do it, but it just puts you at, in such a difficult spot to fill out the rest of the roster, um, in my mind, if you're not going to pay like a massive repeater tax, which some of these teams are willing to do and some of them aren't. Um, but it just, I, I, don't, I don't hate it. I, I just don't really love it. How's that for a lukewarm take? <laughs> I tend to agree with you, but I think what the value is here. So for CJ McCollum's extension, it's, it takes him through his age 32 season, I believe. And for the type of player and scorer that he is, I'm not saying he's going to increase in value over time, but he might be more appealing to some teams to trade for now, or at the, at the bare minimum to me, that contract doesn't become immovable. What I liked about uh, Damian Lillard, so let's talk about that too, the four year, one ninety six million dollar extension is that if you sign him to it now, you're mitigating your risk because he could have been eligible for a five-year Supermax next year, and we've gone over, if he made All-NBA, we've gone over those what those numbers would have, yeah. would have looked like. They would have been and Lillard is a top like 10 to 15 player, so it's it's a lot easier to wrap your head around that one, I think. Right, and it's, so it's four years, and you know, whatever it ends up being now, 196, I think the number might actually be just slightly higher than that. Uh it, or if so it's that or what if next year all of a sudden that becomes five years 253.8 million dollars something along those lines so it's it's still four years 196 so that that was the right one i'm just more comfortable with that number you it's you have them for a shorter amount of time but that's almost good because you look at the points they are in their careers and you're going into their early mid 30s there but the point you made about them fleshing out the rest of the roster that's that's a good one and what people aren't talking about enough, I, I hate looking at trade uh, extensions in these terms, but if you're going to have 80-ish million dollars wrapped up in C.J. McComb and Damian Lillard, you are not paying the six-foot-four-inch Anthony Simons when he's extension eligible yeah. after next year, unless you're also moving C.J. McComb. Now, that's a situation to watch. You just can't invest that much in uh, three, three guards. The other thing I'll say here is that when you look at when they got these deals done, or when they kick in, rather, 
they don't mess with next year's next summer's cap space. And the Blazers have, depending on what Hazonia and, and Hood do with their player options, they can get to between 18 million and a little bit over $20 million if they punt on using their first round pick. Uh, they can do other things to shed salary, obviously, if they wanted to do that as well. That's not nothing when you look at next year's market where there aren't really max players available anyway. And so that money, can you get a high-impact player or maybe two really good players with it? Those extensions just seem to align really well with their timeline, and I think you can argue that those were the two smartest moves by the Blazers of the summer, which is hardly a ringing endorsement for the rest of it. Yeah, I think that's all true. Are you ready to move on to the Denver Nuggets? Let's do it. Um, Denver Nuggets, they finished first in the Northwest Division last year with 54 victories. They did not have much to do this offseason, and so they didn't. Notable additions, Bol Bol and Jeremy Grant. Notable exits, Isaiah Thomas, Trey Lyles, Tyler Lydon. Notable resignings I have, they gave Jamal Murray uh, his four-year $169.7 million extension, which is a lot of money. Uh, Mo in his text message, gave Denver an A. Sometimes standing pat is the best thing to do, he said. I like the Grant move, too. I also gave them an A. Andy, you gave them. A's all around for the Denver Nuggets. Well done. I'm sure they'll be excited to hear that. They, people, or I shouldn't say people, someone in our mentions the other day wanted to know why I gave Denver an A and Utah a B plus when Utah added better players than Denver did. It's all within the context of a team. Denver just won 54 games as one of the most promising young cores in the NBA. What they needed was legitimate wings, and they got the most positionless, one of the most positionless wings in the league when you look at players who can man the two, three, and four in Jeremy Grant while only giving up a protected first-round pick that's probably going to finish in the bottom 10, if not worse, next year. That's absolutely huge. And also, can we just... They scoop up Bobo, who was originally a top five, top seven draft pick uh, prospect, and they get him at number 44. That amounts to zero risk. Uh, the Jamal Murray extension is the only thing that I think you can be relatively uneasy about, and there were moments in the playoffs last year where he looked like he was ready to be the second best player on a real contender. There were also moments where he disappeared or was just absolutely awful, but I don't think that's an unworthy gamble, nor when you're looking at their cap situation next summer, knowing you have... Beasley will be up for a new deal. Do they want to keep Torrey Craig? That might be something he's going to be up for a new deal. Mason Plumley's up for a new deal. Uh, already said Paul Millsap, I believe, if I didn't. Uh, there he is. Juan Hernan Gomez up for a new deal. They're not going to have all this money to just throw around anyway, and so there's value in just building the goodwill with Jamal Murray of, hey, here's your extension. The money they were going to have to pay him anyway because some team was going to max him out over four years, of course, but they were going to max him out. Now you build goodwill with what's a really good player. Maybe it doesn't pan out, but I think you're good enough and don't need him to be the best version of himself often enough for that not to absolutely kill you. And so this is a team in an offseason where continuity really fell by the wayside for a lot of teams for good reasons, obviously. This is huge to them where they're just, they kept the core together and now you add someone to Jeremy Grant who for their purposes can be very much plug and play it'd probably be nice if they had another wing that should be michael porter jr if he's if he's healthy this to me i know people are talking about the clippers i know they're talking about the lakers i know they're talking about the jazz if i had to pick which team is going to finish with the best regular season record in the western conference right now it's going to be the denver nuggets for me uh, i think that would be a great pick um denver is loaded they have a top five to ten player in the league in Nikola Jokic, and he's 24 years old. Uh, Jamal Murray's 22. Monte Morris, who I think is r really good, 24. Malik Beasley, uh, 22. Gary Harris, uh, 24. I mean, all these guys are under 25 years old. They're, they are just loaded with talent. And to add Jeremy Grant to that mix was something I don't think many people saw coming. So when I, when I got that notification, I just thought, wow. This is a team that could have just stood still and done nothing, and I, I would have expected them to be better next season because all of their best players are young. They're, they're going to continue to get better for two or three years. Um, to, to add sort of the perfect 
player that they needed uh, in an offseason where they very easily could have done nothing. Um, I, I thought they just had an excellent, excellent offseason. Um, easy A for me. Uh, the, the, one, <laughs> the one shoe that may still be yet to drop. Do you know where that phrase came from, by the way? The other shoe is yet to, to drop. I don't think I've ever given it enough thought to try. <laughs> so I almost, I, I don't remember if I put it in the article or if I kept it out, but I was, I was, I wrote it in an article and I thought, what does that even mean? So I Googled it and I guess it's from back in the day when there wasn't a lot of insulation between apartments. Um, when you'd hear somebody take their shoes off for bed, one would hit the floor and you'd anxiously wait for the second one to hit the floor. Wow. So there's a fun history lesson for you. Anyway, just learned something about <laughs> speaking. What did what are these I, adages or whatever? <laughs> an anecdote? Was that? I don't even know. Um, well, the saying is an adage, right? This is going there, off yeah, the wall. Old please, adage. Please You're get right. Back to the Nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna look stupid. Um, the other shoe that may drop still. I don't. I don't know if this is just like Nuggets fans trying to speak it into existence, or if this is a real possibility. But they have a pretty interesting offer to throw at the Washington Wizards if they ever decide that they might try to move Bradley Beal. Um, Gary Harris, Michael Porter Jr., you've got a promising youngish player in Harris. You've got a lot of intrigue in Michael Porter Jr. Then maybe you throw in Juan Hernan Gomez, uh, draft picks. If, if they suddenly come out with a starting lineup that has Murray, Beal, uh, Millsap, Jokic, that that to me is a very, very strong title contender. Imagine if they get away with you know, this would be so distant down the line and it'd be an easier trade to construct uh, next offseason. But if you don't include Michael Porter Jr., let's say the Wizards are just worried about not his injuries, but, oh, all of a sudden he's just two years into his rookie scale deal and you have two first-round picks and you're just able to use you know salary-matching fodder as Mason Plumlee um, instead of with Gary Harris. That would Think about how dangerous that just ultimately makes them. Then, uh, even Malik yeah. Beasley, though, I know he's a, I know he's going to be a restricted free agent, but that's just another. Monte Morris is there as well. If you're going to have Murray and Beal, I don't know that you need him when he's going to be a free agent in 2021. And that's assuming his non-guaranteed salary gets picked up, which it absolutely will. Jared Vanderbilt, someone who intrigues me too. I talked about him with Adam Myers of, uh, or excuse me, Adam Myers, uh, Myers. I hope I didn't butcher that again, but I learned the correct pronunciation on the podcast. We talked about him. He's just super intriguing as well. You have Bol Bol too. That's a that's a all kinds of yeah. That's a, like a high end trade asset. If you just include him, let's just say he gets healthy next year, and the Wizards, you know, they're not. I know they signed Thomas Bryant. They're not set for the future uh, at the five. There's just no. they they do have the most one of possibly and probably the most tantalizing Bradley Beal trade package in the NBA. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think I think the the Nuggets. Uh, hit it out of the park this summer. I even though they didn't do a ton, they're they're just and then maybe it's maybe this is an A for the last two or three years of what Tim Conley and company have done. Um, There's a chance that Will Barton deal looks rough in the aggregate. Yeah, he was pretty bad last he season. He had the core injury that he was dealing with. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he can bounce back. But that's a fair that's a fair criticism. Um, but overall, they've they've built such a strong young team there, so they're obviously going to be fun to pay attention to for the next few years, especially this this immediate upcoming season. Uh, with that, we have wrapped up the Northwest Division, though. Um, Under an hour. Well done. Well it. done. Who did we start with? The uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. I gave them a B. Mo gave them a D. You gave them a B plus. Please drag Mo for that. At Modesto yeah. underscore NBA. Yeah. Uh, I gave the Oklahoma City Thunder a B plus. Mo gave him a B. You gave him an A. I gave the Utah Jazz an A. Mo gave him a B. You gave him a B plus. Portland Trailblazers. I gave him a C. Mo gave him a B. You gave him a C plus. And then we all gave the Denver Nuggets an A. If you want to quibble over any of those grades, I I know Dan especially enjoys that uh, on Twitter. You can find him at Dan Favale F A V A L E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. Mo DeKeel is at uh, Mo DeKeel underscore NBA. Did I just butcher that? No, you're, you're correct there. 
Okay. At Blue Wire Pods is the podcast network. Follow NBA Math, all that fun stuff. Um, if you haven't already rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the show, make sure you do that. And if you have, make sure your friends and family do that. And until next time, we leave you with the shout out to mid range sniper Beno Udri, uh, all around Swiss Army knife forward Kyle Anderson, and up and coming mini backup point guard Jalen Brinson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.